us. I'm going to speak today on effective Christianity. And it has to do with the parable of the sower. And I may be answering a few questions that you've had all your Christian life because as I study it, I get answers to questions that I've had all my life. And I've been around a long time. So it proves that the Word of God does have an ongoing, a continuum of truth for us. It's, a, it's not just an established truth. It's a truth that wells up, and it's a truth that hits us in different areas of our life, in different circumstances, in different situations. That's why you can read a verse today, and it means something, and it's so beautiful. You read it again a month later, and you say, my God. I thought I knew what that verse meant. And once again, it's flowing with a new message and with a bountiful impact on your life. Now, effective Christianity, I'm go we're going to look at it today through the parable of the sower. Through the parable of the sower. And the question I'll open up with, and it's a question you've had, it's a question you've asked, and it's a question that you know that comes up quite often, and that is, why do so many people fall by the wayside? Why do so many Christians cease to walk in the way of the Lord? Why do we have so many backsliders? Why is it that they're not here? And that's an honest question, a very sincere question. Now, the parable of the sower gives us the answers. In other words, Jesus explains why. And he's the only one that can really do it because we get so confused. We right away take it out on personality, or we take it out on retardation, or we take it out on they just didn't like us, or we... That, that, it has nothing to do with that. Because, you see, when we're dealing with the truth of the Word of God reaching the hearts of men, listen, that's a plan that God has set aside. In other words, that's a plan established by God. That's a plan that's been confirmed by God. Now, why, why so many people fall by the wayside? Why can you have an altar filled with souls? And sometimes, hey, 99 of them never come back. What happened? Now, Jesus explained it this way, and it's in the parable of the sower. If you open your word, we'll read a few verses, and then I'll just refer to them. It says... That same day, it's opening the 13th chapter. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. 
Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came and asked, why do you speak in parables? Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever will be given more, whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. That is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I will heal them. There's something so beautiful here. For these people's heart has callous. They hardly hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they didn't do that. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes. And this goes on. And the only verses I want to remind you of is come with me uh, to the 18th verse. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, away that which was sown in the heart. This is a seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky place is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word but worries of his life, of the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Follow me now, please, to the 37th verse. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Amen. This is a fantastic chapter. When you get home, take time to read it. Take time to understand it almost piece by piece because there's so much here for us. Jesus explained why. Why do people hear and sometimes with joy receive and then go on their way? Well, number one, there's a seed that falls on the road. The scripture says that they don't understand. And then there's somebody around there, around them, helping them to, to even understand less. 
And that's the enemy of man's soul, Satan. The devil, the scripture says that the devil snatches it away. He takes it. Do you see? Satan is in the snatching business. The scripture describes him as a thief. The scripture, the scripture describes him as the evil one. And if you people are sitting here and somebody might be saying, you know, lady, you sound like medieval times. You're talking about devils. You're going to probably be talking about a million other things. Listen, folks, let me tell you something. You people that are alive the last 30 years have been into everything and anything. And I say that in terms of, did you know the kids no longer are afraid of ugly figures? They're not afraid of scorpions. They're not afraid of dinosaurs. They are not afraid of ugly ghosts. Matter of fact, Friday the 13th, I think has, uh, what is it, seven viewings already? They're never through with it. And it's so gory, bulgy eyes, and ugh, I look at it and I go, ah! You know, I can't even, I can't even flip the, the thing. It's so horrible. Isn't it interesting? Our children are like getting ready, and I say this most sincerely. They're getting ready for the time after the rapture, when this whole earth will be filled with such demon activity. They've seen it on TV, they've seen it in the movies, they've seen it in plays. Listen, when it starts to roam our streets, they're going to think it's just a continuation of what they've been seeing for the last 10, 20, or 30 years. But that's the enemy. And that's how the enemy moves into our society. And that's how I know that Jesus is coming very soon. Oh, yes, he is. Jesus is about to arrive. We are living like he's coming tonight. And we're working as though there were still a hundred years for him to come. So we will be faithful in our work to him. But the devil is the man, the most horrible person that is now working toward the destruction of the human soul. It sounds archaic to some people. And other people say, I can't believe that you are still saying things like that. Well, this is why we pray on Tuesday. Tuesday night becomes the night of the antidote for Satan. What do I mean? Yes, we have power in the church of Jesus Christ. We have the power of the truth of the word of God. First, that he's a defeated enemy. He can do nothing to us if we're washed in the blood. If Jesus is our savior, if we have accepted him, if we're embraced in his love and in his grace, Satan can't do anything. Some people say to me, he comes up this closest, Jamie. I wouldn't care if he kissed you. He cannot harm you. In Jesus' name, he can't. He cannot. You say, well, why do I feel the way I feel? Why? Because we're so wrapped in human emotions. We're so wrapped in fear. We're so wrapped in whatever the body and the mind can produce. And that's why we have to get wrapped in what the Word of God says. He is defeated. He is, uh, he was... Jesus took care of him on Calvary. So we need not worry about him. But that's why we gather on Tuesday nights. We gather to pray, and I'll tell you why. We pray, and we fast, and we gather as a fellowship to break the bonds of Satan. 
And God is working miracles. We have people sitting here that we never thought would be a part of our church. We never thought this young man that sang here so beautifully, Caesar. It, it's precious. He couldn't get into our church five years ago because six years ago because there was no more room. Anybody that was ever in the chapel with us, you know we maxed out for the last four or five years. It was the only church that you literally sat shoulder to shoulder and boulder to boulder. I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't even breathe. But I got news for you. Under those circumstances, he couldn't come in, so he came to Hilltop to have a little breakfast. And it was so interesting. He let everybody know what a rotten lady I was. Oh, yes, he did. He spewed venom on a church that wouldn't let a man with a wheelchair and a beautiful little child in. We didn't have room for the wheel of the wheelchair. But you know what the most beautiful thing is? He's here. He's with us. He sang praises to God. Does not God have power? Is he not to be glorified? Oh, I thank the Lord. And that's why we do, because we know. We know many people will come and the devil would want to steal it. But we're going to ask God to help us. Some, some of the seed falls on rocks, on rocky ground. And the scripture says these are people that are gladly receive. But it doesn't sink in deep enough. It doesn't sink into their hearts, into their minds. They don't last long. And the reason they don't last long, because they're very into troubles and they're very into persecution. Rather, if they're troubled or persecuted by their decision or any other interference comes, they give it up. Hey, I don't need this headache. Keep the church. Keep the hallelujahs. I don't want to be bothered with it. But let me tell you this. These are perfect candidates sometimes for religion. Well, aren't we religious? Yes, this is a religious body, and it would be considered so by the dictionary. And it would be considered so by Webster's Dictionary and by hey, any other religious group in the area. But I have to tell you something. Perfect candidates for religion, why? Because religion doesn't require a relationship. It doesn't require a personal participation. It doesn't require a surrendering of your heart, mind, and soul. So you can be religious and not give up anything. You can be religious and follow whatever scheme, whatever tradition, whatever routine, and you feel, well, that's okay. In my church, they don't bug me, they don't bother me. I'm doing fine. And I have to tell that person it has nothing to do with church, and it has nothing to do with religion. Nothing to do with that at all. When we receive the gospel and when the seed is sown, it's the receiving of Jesus Christ and that he is Lord and he is master. And it's moving in our lives into his heart. We're moving in with him and he's moving in with us. Matter of fact, he becomes the first outside border that intends to stay our whole lifeline. Isn't that marvelous? He comes in to stay. 
And I thank God. I thank God for the knowledge that he belongs to us. I thank God for the knowledge that he's in us. There are some that the seed falls in thorny territory. These are those that are a bit different than the rocky situation. Those are ready, the rocky situation is ready to give it up immediately. The thorns, no. These are people that are born warriors. Anybody here a born warrior? Okay, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you. And you know what? Born warriors lose the best of God. You lose the best of God. Let me explain this to you. These are those that hear the word, but the worries of life. And with those worries of life come certain standards that you've been taught. And some of those standards are excellent. They're marvelous. My mother believed that a man's time schedule was from six to six. A real man leaves the house at six in the morning and a real man gets home at six, more or less. And a real man brings the paycheck to his wife, five o'clock on Friday. And guess what? She found the real man. My father did that for 55 years. Well, he had the same job for 40 years, so you can imagine how faithful he was in everything he did. But you know something? Sometimes it's concepts like that that don't let us trust. Do you understand what I mean? You say, but Sister Amy, wasn't your father a pastor? Oh yes, and a good one. But my mother never let him leave his job. Gay mama. But I was his associate pastor, so my mother would say, Deja que ella lo haga. Tú vete a trabajar. Let her do it, and you, you go work. I love the kindness of my daddy because he loved to work. Do you understand what I mean? He had no problems with working. My father would work outside and then come home and work in church till about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. He had no problems. The church gave him $25 a week. He would visit his five little old ladies and they would always have a little shot of black coffee for him on Saturday mornings. He would read the scripture to him, he would pray, and under each cup he left $5. So he returned it right back to the church. But that was daddy. But I've got to tell you something. There comes a moment in your life when God so designates that there are going to be changes. Now, if the change is from God, and if the change is a change of faith, go God's way. Forget what they've told you in an entire lifetime. Go God's way. You know why? Because God never fails. God does exactly what he said he's going to do. He'll work it through. Sometimes people say to me, aren't you afraid? Uh, uh, no, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of dealing with anyone that's called of God. Why? Because God's calling is the highest calling. Oh, but suppose they're shyestas and they're making me listen. Can I give it to you in Spanish? Por su fruto los conoceréis. You'll know them in a little while. You can get to know anybody. Listen to me carefully. You can get to know anybody. Now let me share this with you. The thorns are those that worry. 
about life and about everything that pertains to life. But isn't it interesting? There's the other crowd that it's not only the worries of life, but also their love of riches. Now that's a problem. There are people on earth that have chosen riches to God. There are people on earth that have chosen money toward being faithful to God. There are people on earth that have chosen, hey, when it comes to my money, don't even talk to me. That's where they become untouchable. But the scripture tells us that the worries and the love of riches choke the message. They choke it. And you know what happens? They're around forever, but they don't bear fruit. They're around forever. They don't go anywhere, but they don't bear fruit. Folks, I want to bear fruit. I want to bear fruit. You say, but Sister Amy, money is such a delicate situation. I know. I know it's a delicate situation. But money is also a situation in which God deals with it in terms of our attitude. If God is numero uno with you, you can be a millionaire and you'll know exactly what to do with your millions. Because he is number one. And he'll tell you what to do. And he'll guide you and he'll lead you. Because he is God. You say, oh, thank God, I don't have to worry about that. Well, neither do I. I don't have to worry about what I'm going to do with my millions. I really don't. But I've got something to tell you, folks. It's not only the millionaire. It's not only the millionaire. Listen to me carefully. When it comes to attitude with, of money, attitude of money, there are people that are tight with their quarters like others are tight with their $25,000. So it has nothing to do with the amount. It has nothing to do with amount. It has to do with attitude. You got a quarter and you want to share it? God will bless you. You got 25,000? All you have to do is look to God. Let me tell you something. He takes nothing from you. That's why I've told people that come to my church, don't, don't push, don't pinch, don't try to suck anything out of my people. Why? Because whatever isn't of the Holy Ghost, whatever isn't of the Lord, won't bless that person. You try to push them and weave them and, and, and make them do what you... No, 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 no. That's not of the Lord. Now, whatever they do, moved by God, hey, I got news for you. You see, with money, we always think that the people in trouble are the rich. No, there are poor that are in trouble with their poquito, with their little bits. It's just like pride. I always thought you had to be rich. I always thought you had to be powerful. I always thought you had to be important to be proud. I really did. I never thought that, I never thought that poor people could be proud. I never did. I thought pride went and arrogance went with the big, with the overflowing, with the mucho. But I have found out different. Oh, I have found out different folks. I used to think that only the gifted and the rich and the powerful were proud. But it's our spirit and our ego. Is your ego feeling a touch? Does your ego tell you how magnificent you are? Does your ego tell you what the church is missing and not having you in action? Does your ego keep you up at night? 
giving you so many accolades and telling you how much and how much you can do and yet you never do anything? Hey, let me tell you something. Ego, throw it in the garbage pail. It doesn't mean a thing. And if it's not, if it doesn't mean a thing, you won't even suffer. You won't even suffer. I've gone to places where I have to speak and they don't even know I'm there. Pastor gets up and he says, we're going to pray for the speaker. She hasn't arrived. I've been sitting there 25 minutes. They don't know me. I don't fit the image. They haven't seen a picture of me. I should be tall. I should be slender. I should be beautiful. I should kind of walk in with a little bit of an entourage. I should look important. I don't meet the qualifications. I'm not too tall. I'm quite heavy. I take the first seat and I sit down. Pray for a few minutes and wait. When I see them praying for the preacher, I just wait. They wait. I let them go through their prayer. Then I sent word up and I said, tell them I'm sitting right here in the corner. And by the way, I had been moved three times. This was for the choir and this was for the elders and this was for the orchestra. Whoa, no wonder they couldn't find me. But let me tell you something. I'm not announcing that I'm not proud. But I am announcing that God has a million ways to keep you humble. Oh, doesn't he ever? Oh! <laughs> now the scripture talks about seed that's sown in good soil. And who are they? They're the people that hear the message, that understand it. And the scripture then says they bear fruit. The most important thing about knowing Jesus is that you bear fruit. Sister Amy, what are you talking about? Fruit, peaches, apples, pears, oranges? No. What comes out of your life? The gifts that then flow from your spirit. Uh, gifts of joy, gifts of peace, uh, uh, gifts of helps, uh, so many things. Uh, that comes out. And the person where the seed is sown in good soil, listen to this. They then bear a hundred. A hundred times what was sown comes out. They, they turn into, uh, what are you, what's, the, what's, what's maybe the thing that has the most? I think the corn on the cob. Corn on the cob, right? Multiplied a hundredfold. Some 60, some 30. You say, sister, I don't want to work too, too, too hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell the Lord to keep me in the 30s. Because I want to be in, but I don't want to be a pusher. Uh-uh. Let me tell you something. The 100, the 60, and the 30 that come from the good soil, it doesn't come by choice. It is the best that can be produced from the life. Are you hearing me? You don't spend one week and say, oh, I'm here. Oh, I'm here. Oh, I'm not going to give too much. No, 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 no. There is a growth pattern which the Holy Spirit will follow through in your life and you will be what he wants you to be. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about the Lord. I'm happy about the things of God. You know why? Simply because he's in charge. He's in charge and you know, he's in charge and he doesn't fail. We fail. We goof off. We have times of, yeah, who knows? No, 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 no. He's in charge. And let's trust him for that. Now, it's important that we not let Satan, yes, steal our seed. You say, what do you mean, Sister Amy? Well, there are people 
that yes, the seed is planted in good soil. But we have a battle, and you will always have a battle. It's, it's, it's a very, very unique battle. We've got to beware that we be, and I, I, I put it down. In other words, that our gifts be surrendered to him. That wherever we are in life, whether it be our business, whether it be our career, whether it be whatever it is, power, that we do wield. There are people that wield power. What can I tell you? I'm thinking of this man this week that was caught, I don't know where, sunk. A bank almost a thousand years old buried it because of his tradings. That's a powerful man. And that's a horrible situation. God knows what will happen. But you see, folks, this is why people on earth let Satan move into their lives. They let him take control. And that's why the scripture, whenever it speaks about the enemy, it says, beware. Beware. Be careful with our gifts, with our business, with our careers, with whatever power has been granted to us. With our money, beware. And you know what I love about this? God gives us a choice. I will live to my dying day thanking God for choice. I used to curse the thought of choice because I kind of thought it would be better if God would just beat us well once and bring us in. But that's not the way it happens. It's a matter of choice. And we have a choice. You say, Sister Amy, but when these wealthy men are up thing, isn't it a little hard? Isn't it? A, you see, that's your concept and my concept because we are earthlings. Because we are wrapped up in this world of money. We are wrapped up in this world of consumer goods. Uh, we are wrapped up in this world of commercialism, TV, radio. Uh, the streets are filled with them. And our, and our idea is, oh my God, if they have money, well, they, they can be useful to us with their money. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of want to protect them. We kind of want to protect them for, from a total surrender. But that's how crazy we are. Because the scripture says, that he that gives his life to the Lord is like the person that went into a field and hidden in the field found a tremendous treasure. Now he couldn't do anything about it because the field wasn't his. He covers it up, he covers it up, and then he goes back and sells everything he's got and he buys the field. And when it's over, He's a hundred times richer than he ever was before. Why? Because he understood real treasure. That world, and sometimes we, don't understand real treasure. Real treasure is faith. Real treasure is love. Real treasure is divine guidance. Real treasure is the Holy Spirit coming up like rivers of living water through our belly and into our minds uh, and spurting out of our lips. That's what real treasure is. That you know, no matter how bad things are, no matter how the body quivers, that God's with you, that God's with us. This is very important, folks. This man was given the choice. How about the man of, uh, of the, the pearl? The pearl of great price. What did he do? 
he did exactly the same thing. He was looking for a pearl, spotted the one he wanted, went and sold everything he had, and he bought this one. He ended up with more than he could have ever dreamed of. What am I trying to tell you this morning? I'm trying to tell you that the devil comes to snatch, to steal, to rob, to take from us, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life. You might have it more abundantly. Life at its fullest comes from the Lord. And we've got to accept that. In other words, we never, we never give up anything of any value when you give your life up to Christ Jesus. Don't you see? He is the greatest creator of heaven and earth. The God that made the sun and the stars. The God that neither sleeps nor slumbers. Watched Israel and now he watches us. The God that says to us uh, in the vigils of the night, uh, I will be with thee. I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. The God that says to us, we feel like sheep that have gone astray. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd watches over his sheep. And I know my sheep and they know my voice. And they will not go with another. Oh, folks, I got news for you. We have to realize that the greatest treasure is Jesus. He's, he's the one that makes you a millionaire. He's the one that makes you, yeah, oh yeah. You can have nothing and be rich. And there are those that have everything and they're poor. Better word in Spanish, pauperrimos. The worst, the worst of poverty is theirs. Now let me, let me, let me come to a conclusion. As Christians, what's our concern? You say, Sister Amy, the seed is sown and... And God knows who's going to come, and God knows who's not going to come. And, and some are all going to be snuffed out, and some are going to be stolen by the devil. And, and others, well, well, if God knows all, we don't, we don't have anything to worry about, do we? Let me say something to you, especially if you have any tendencies in fatalism. Especially if you have any t tendencies in futi futility. In case you think that you know more about the human spirit and the human soul than God knows. I want to talk to you from the bottom of my heart. Number one, God's knowledge does not impede human will. God's knowledge of who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved does not interfere with human will. Your will is yours. God will never take it away from you. God will never rob you of it. Satan will, but God won't. You have a choice and you have to make it. And this is important. And we have to know that. He knows because he's God. And you know, that's the easiest thing for me to say. He knows because he's God. I never fight with God. Oh, I'm disappointed sometimes. I think he's awfully slow other times. I want things yesterday. I, I go through the same traumas you go through. Yeah. I said, God, I thought you said you were going to give me that. And the Lord said, see... Better. And I kind of want to tell him that, you know, I'm nervous. I'm, I, I need it. But I'm learning to say, thy will be done, Lord. Thy will be done. It's not easy, but that's the way it goes. He knows because he's God. Now, what are we to do, okay? Pastor Amy, what do we do? How do we leave here this morning? Well, first of all, we're to sow the seed. 
where to sow the seed. I said something in my bulletin that I want you to know, and I want you, don't, don't look for it, let me read it to you, and this is so important. All I can do at this point is caution you. I'm talking about burden for the lost. Don't tell people how sinful they are. God hasn't called you to be a home relief investigator on people's spirits. You're not the welfare department for God. You don't have to tell people how sinful they are. The Holy Spirit will do that. You don't have to do it. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Just concentrate on yourself. Look, man, you knew me before. We walked together before. Look at me now. Okay. And then don't be, and then it says, don't be pushy. And what does that mean? Everybody's got to make their own decision. Let them know of God's magnificent operation in your life. Let them see the change. And don't be quick to go back to your old stomping grounds. Give your new life time to be grounded in truth. Read your Bible. Pray in a disciplined way. Have quiet times where you sit alone with God and just tell him you love him. And when you talk to people, don't preach. Don't preach to people. Don't give them my sermons. Don't do that. Just drop a seed of love. You've got a whole lifetime to talk about Jesus. So sow the seed. Number two, be filled with the Holy Ghost. How many want to be filled? Oh, I want you to be filled with the Holy Ghost, folks. Any moment in worship, any moment in our beautiful marches, uh, any time even while I'm preaching uh, and something bubbles up uh, and a new language flows out, let it go. I will welcome tongues that come from the Holy Ghost. Don't you, don't you stop them. Can you see somebody sitting out there going, Pastor's preaching. <laughs> no, no, let it out. You probably got the end of my sermon. Praise the Lord. He is king. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Live in faith and love. What does that mean? Live in the truth of the word and love God. You know, Sister Amy, I've got a little problem with loving because I don't love everybody. Hey, shake. Who loves everybody here? Anybody here love everybody? Thank you. Oh, you're such an honest crowd. I love you. Really, I do. There are people that hold us down. There are people that are as ugly as sin. There are people that ride us. There are people that we wake up praying, I can all over Oh, I hope I don't see them. Hey, that is part of life. But listen, as your faith grows, so will your love. Let others see Jesus in you and in me. I want somebody to say about you, you know, the lady from your church, she's so nice. Well, she's so nice. Why is she so kind? She spoke to me. She was, oh, hallelujah. That's where it's at. And let's pray. Let our prayers be the water for the seeds that we sow. You talk to somebody on the job, that night pray for them. You talk to somebody on the subway, don't forget, remember them in prayer. Even as they get off their station, just close your eyes. Make contact with God. Say, Lord, let that seed, let that seed be watered and grow. Grant it, Jesus. Folks, let's live in faith. Let's live in hope. God will see us through. He will intervene.
And I close with this great thought. Effective Christianity is knowing that God's on your side. He'll fight your battles, and he'll never leave you. Say amen.